Well, I'll say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Thank you, Maggie. Bless his holy name. Awesome. I have a plant in the audience. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm the pastor here. Uh, we want to be the kind of place that engages the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Um, really appreciate Jason Cook uh, stepping in last week. Well, I was out on spring break. I got spring broke and spring burned, um, but we're, we're back um, I don't know about you, I am really, really happy that spring is finally here. Like, it just does something for my soul. Finally, we have normal daylight time that's not just in a pit of darkness at 3.30 p.m. Um, I was out having a conversation with some of my friends, and we were agreeing upon the same thing, like, thank you, Jesus. But as I was talking to them, here's what I've noticed lately with hanging out with different generations at some point in your friendship or conversation, someone is going to say probably about minute 11 or 12, hey, have you seen that meme? Or they're going to say, oh my gosh, have you seen that TikTok video? Or, oh my gosh, do you remember that Office episode, which is like your generation's version of my Seinfeld, and you just apparently, it's so permeated culture that you relate every life experience to a certain episode. I'm not like that at all. I normally just like, mm, tell me more. Um, and I'm not really on social media uh, intentionally, and I sometimes I'm arrogant about that. But my wife filters through all that stuff for me, and she's like, Chris, have you seen this meme? I'm like, oh, gosh, my life is not complete. <laughs> but she showed it to me, and it was so daggum good, I needed to share it with you tonight, okay? It's called The 12 Seasons of Nashville. We don't have four seasons. We have 12 seasons. So here they are. Season number one is winter. Then you have what is called full spring. Then you have the second winter. And then comes the spring of deception. Just so we're clear, that's what we're in right now. Then you have the third winter, followed by the pollening. And everybody with allergies said amen. Then you have actual spring. Then finally comes summer. Then comes hell's front porch. And then thanks be to God, you think it's fall, but it's actually a false fall, because you have one day that it dips below 70, and you're like, sweet, it's here. Nope, you got second summer, comes next. And then finally, you have actual fall, 12 seasons of Nashville. Would you agree? I'm like, that is so good, and that describes it perfectly. Uh, we did a series a while back here called uh, Seasons of the Soul, and we asked, what season is your soul, and what season of life do you find yourself in? Winter, right? We said winter, let winter do its work. It's usually cold. It's usually isolated. It's usually a time for grieving and for loss. It's a time when things that die and decay and go below the surface to nourish the ground for spring. And then spring comes, right, in a riot and a rush of color and smells and sounds, and all this growth just starts bursting forth, and it's full of potential and energy and enthusiasm. And then summer hits, and it's time for back-breaking labor, sun up to sundown. It's time to sweat, and it's time to tend all of the growth that's come so that it's ready for harvest. And just when you think you can't go any longer, finally the turn signal comes, and a cool breeze blows in, and it's fall. And it's time for celebration and satisfaction and to see the fruit of all of your labor. And then all of a sudden, in their mystery and their majesty, the leaves begin to change and fall to the ground and die, and start the process all over again. So we asked the question, what season is your soul in? And I think if I was to go back and re-preach that series, I'd turn it into a 12-week series and incorporate like fake fall and fool's <laughs> spring of deception. 
And I'd also realize, I think it's possible to be in more than one season at once. Or you may be in one relationally, and you're a different one financially, maybe one, one physically, or a different one spiritually. My wife and I, over the last couple months, have found ourselves in two seasons. Um, for those of you who don't know yet, um, come April, I'm going to step away as pastor of Kairos and going to be sent out to help encourage, equip uh, microchurch leaders so that we can get a pastor in every neighborhood, house gatherings of 20 to 50 people to see if we can't multiply and divide the kingdom of God through extended spiritual families. And it's exciting and it's fresh and there's people coming and there's so much work to be done and I can't get over all I see that the Lord is doing. But it's also been winter. Five years is coming to a close here and giving permission for good things to come to an end. And there's grief and there's loss that comes with that. And it feels weird to be experiencing joy and grief in the same hand because each emotion feels like a betrayal of the other. If you ask me to explain how I feel, I would say it's like being a pastor doing a funeral and a wedding in the same week. But both of those things can exist. But I love what Todd Bolsinger says. He says this, people don't resist change. They resist loss. But what if we could be the kind of people that embrace both of those things? Loss and change. Because here's what I know, Kairos. There, there's going to be a new season of leadership, and there's going to be lots of changes, and I think the best days for Kairos are yet to come. But here are the things that absolutely will not change. We will continue to preach the word of God clearly and give your soul space to respond. We will engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, regardless of the season, with anybody. This will be always a place where you can honestly and uniquely connect to God and each other. And hopefully, if the mission and legacy lives on, this place has always only been about one person. And his name's Jesus. Yeah. And he sees you. And he really does love you, and he cares, and he knows, and he has your best at heart as he takes us in to the next season of life. How can I say those things with confidence? Because it's exactly what just happened in the text. When we come to Jesus, we always will find forgiveness and healing in his name. So you got five guys in the middle of this text, right? They're not making hamburgers. They're making a beeline for Jesus. you got four dudes carrying a corner, one paralyzed guy in the middle who has been paralyzed, marginalized, and ostracized. And he can't do anything to help himself. He's relying on those four guys. He's also got some of this compartmentalized, oldie-moldy theology because people really couldn't process the paradox of a good God and bad things happening here on planet Earth. So they wanted to blame him and say that it was his fault or his parents' fault that somehow he must have sinned that he was born paralyzed. But these four friends, they don't care what other people think, do they? They're making a beeline to Jesus and they're advocating for someone who can't advocate for themselves. They're being a voice for someone who doesn't have a voice. They're being legs that can walk to Jesus for someone's legs who don't work. And as soon as they show up to the house, it's bursting at the seams. They're not social distancing. They're not looking at the fire marshal. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. They can't find a way in. And as soon as they come up, even though their quads and their shoulders are burning and they realize they can't get into Jesus, what do they do? They turn around and go home and say, oh, well, it must not be God's will. It's not what they do, is it? 
Because I'll tell you what, I'm done with Christians who are passive, and what I want is Christians who partner with God to find his will regardless of the obstacles that the enemy throws at us. So they seize a crowd, and what do they do? They work their way around back. And now they're realizing, oh my goodness, we gotta figure out something else. Side note, Kairos, just so we're clear, the hardest challenges we face lead to our greatest innovations, not inventions. The hardest challenges you will face in the days to come will lead to the greatest innovations. And the greatest innovations in ministry always come for when you see people who have a hard time getting to Jesus and you go before them and you make a way. So they come around back and they realize, oh my goodness, here's a roof. What do we do? We must just go home. No. Now, I can tell you this. Uh, I've been studying the word of God pretty intensely and intentionally for about 20 years. I have no idea how they got that dude on the roof. There's no handicap ramp. I don't know if someone was like parkour, hardcore, and just shimmying on up there. Oh my gosh, you see the episode of The Office, Simon? Right? I don't know if one of them was like an American ninja warrior. I don't know if they parachuted that joker up and figured it's not going to hurt his back anymore. Like, I don't know what they did. It, w- it was probably not dignified, and it probably didn't work the first time. But these guys got some grit and grace, and doggone it, they're getting up on the roof. And you know what's utterly amazing? The second they get on the roof, the clouds part, a sunbeam comes down, and there's a sunroof just big enough for their friend to go through. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) That's not what happened. Who told you following Jesus wasn't going to be full of obstacles? Who told you it wasn't going to be a difficulty after difficulty, barrier after barrier for you to break through in the name of Jesus? Because what this does in that moment is it galvanizes their faith. It galvanizes their grit. And I I don't know, the text doesn't tell us this, but what do you think they're thinking during this moment? I don't know about you, if they're carrying the corner, do you think if sometime a doubt goes through their mind and says, man, I don't know if this is going to work, and at the end of this, I don't know if it's going to be worth the work. Do you think some of them are just thinking, oh, man, the only reason I'm still going is because those three guys aren't quitting? Do you think they had a mantra that they said back and forth to each other? That when they were ready to give up, one of them said, carry your corner, and the rest of them responded, carry your corner. Carry your corner. What do you think the paralyzed man is thinking? Do you think he's saying, come on, guys, stop, just go home. It's not going to work. Do you think at the end of the day he wonders if he's really worth all this effort? What do you think he thinks Jesus is going to say if he actually gets in front of him? Oh, son, sorry. Too much of a sinner. You're not worthy of my time or attention. Imagine all of these thoughts may be going through their eyes. I don't know what they were thinking, but here's what I can tell you. I know what they were doing. They were digging. Dig, 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 until they can get their friend at the feet of Jesus. So now Luke, in his version, he says they get up and they remove some uh, tiles. Now, Luke's a a physician, so he wants to make sure everything's up to code. But Mark, when he tells it, he could care less about unlicensed and undocumented workers. They get up on the roof, and he says they dig right through it. So that means these guys have finally gotten them up on the roof, and what do they do? They sink their hands into that dirt and that clay, and they start ripping and gripping. 
They start breaking, snapping the reeds that would serve as rebar for that roof. They start going till they see a hole, and then they start kicking. They start scratching, and they start making sure that there's a hole big enough to get their friend at the feet of Jesus. Kairos, just remember, by the way, our main objective in here is not only to raise the roof and worship, it's to rip it apart for those who need to be at the feet of Jesus and let those two never compete with one another but be one and the same. Carry your corner, dig, dig, dig until you can lower your friend to find themselves at the feet of Jesus. So they lower him down and they're standing over this manhole, literally, with four guys, and they see him at the feet of Jesus, and they're sweating, their hands are on their hips, heavy breathing back and forth. They're wiping the sweat off their brow, and they're smearing their face with dirt. And they're leaning in, and they're listening in to see what will Jesus do now that our friend's at his feet. And Jesus does what he always does. He forgives, and he heals. Now, don't miss the biggest miracle of this whole passage is that that man's sins were forgiven. Don't forget the fact that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's the biggest miracle of your entire life. It's not the only one, but I dare say it's the biggest one, that you go from darkness to life, that you have new desires, that you realize the mind is not ruled by the flesh, but is ruled by the spirit so I can have life and I have, can have peace even in the midst of brokenness and chaos. Then Jesus heals him. Now let's take a time out for a second. What do we do with healing? What do we do with the fact that Jesus healed some people and didn't heal others? What do you do when you're talking about this text as a team and you're talking to Cameron who just read the scripture and says, my brother's a quadriplegic? What do you do with the text there? Now, here as believers, uh, we got three options when it comes to healing. One is that you pray for it, and then there's three times. It's, it's just a question of timing, when it's gonna happen. So the kingdom of God will break out here on earth as it is in heaven, and you can be healed. Two, you will die, and you will receive your resurrected body, and you'll be healed, and you'll be whole. Or three, Jesus will come again, and you'll be restored, and he'll make all things new. But we are called to pray, and we are called to carry our corner, and we are called to dig so that Jesus can bring healing and restoration to your soul. So sometimes God heals our wounds and sometimes God makes us a wounded healer. Either way, our job description has not changed. He gets to the feet of Jesus. And this is, I gotta tell you, I, I don't know what to do with this part of the text. I honestly don't. Jesus looks up and it says in the text, seeing their faith, he says, your sins are forgiven. What the what? But Jesus, he didn't say the sinner's prayer. The Romans road hasn't even been paved at this point. There's like no confession. There's no repent and believe. There's just Jesus seeing someone leverage their faith for their friend and says, your sins are forgiven. Here's all I know what to say, is that when you come across the unmerited, unearned, unrelenting mercy of God, 
demonstrated in Jesus Christ. It is remarkable, it is paradoxical, and it is utterly undeniable when you experience it and when you witness it. And you put no parameters or boundaries on it. You pray that it continues to explode in your life and in your friend's life. Son, your sins are forgiven. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority here on earth, I say to you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Is it possible, Kairos, that we can truly leverage our faith for our friends? For those who believe and those who have yet to believe? Verse 26, when it's judging the crowd's reaction, it says, we have seen remarkable things today, wonderful things today, amazing things today. One literal translation of that word is, we have seen stranger things today. Yes, I've seen that show as well. (laughs) But you need to know, as we transition into a new season, my prayer for you has always been the same prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. One, that they would know who he is by the way that you love one another. And two, is greater things than Jesus has done, you will do. By the way, that's what Jesus prayed for his disciples, okay? And maybe a more literal translation is, hey, at Kairos, may we see stranger things than this. May we do a double take when we start to see the people who are coming to faith. May we look at someone and go, you're leading? You're stepping up? May we continue to be the kind of people that love one another, carry our corner, and leverage our faith, and dig, dig, dig to get people to the feet of Jesus. Jesus saw their friend's faith, and he acted. Regardless of the season that you are in, carry your corner. Now, here's what's interesting. Don't you want friends like this? Don't you want friends who, no matter how hard the challenge is, the better the innovation is? You want people that don't just stop at the first obstacle, but that carry the corner to get you to the feet of Jesus, that leverage their faith for you? Don't you want to be this kind of friend that people can call and know they will carry my corner regardless of the season or state that I find myself in? Now, sociologists have said this that your life right now is a composite of your five closest relationships. Who you are as a person is a direct correlation of the five closest relationships you carry in your life. If that is true, don't you think we should be intentionally choosing our friendships and making sure we're interacting with them in intentional ways in such a way that they know what our mat is and they know when we need to be carried? Now, I just divided this room in two. Because there's two types of people when you hear this passage. The first ones are, you're carry the corner people, right? You know who you are. I'm strong, I am loyal, and I am the first person someone calls when they need a helping hand. And doggone it, I like to fix things. And I like people when I get them fixed because I really enjoy the affirmation that I get. I'm the first person people call when they need to move or they need help. That is who I am. Absolutely awesome, incredible. The question is, do you have the courage to get on a mat and be carried when you need help? Or is your identity so wrapped up in helping others, you've forgotten how to ask for help for yourself? You want to know who the biggest offenders are? Healthcare workers and ministers. Because all of your identity is in helping other people, and you don't have the courage to, to face your fear and say, actually, I need your help. Would you carry a corner and get me to the feet of Jesus? You ready for the other half of the room? Let's be honest. 
You may say you hate that map, but secretly you love it. It's kind of comfortable, hasn't it? That pain, eh, I'd rather choose the pain I know than the pain I don't know about changing. Mm, just, just so we're clear, Kairos, hey, it, it, your brokenness does not define you. It may describe you. But some of you have sat in it for so long, you don't know what it's like to actually get up and walk. And just maybe, just maybe, you finding healing to get off your mat is the call of someone else to carry their corner. That maybe God wants to restore the dignity to you to help someone else out. Sometimes God heals our wounds and sometimes God makes us a wounded healer. But no matter where we're at, we will always find ourselves either carrying a corner or also there will be a season when you need your corner to be carried. And it'll probably be humiliating and it'll probably break your pride. And God will give you a grace and a spiritual authority that you've never had in your life before because now you know what it's like to be wounded and to have the courage to ask for help. I think I can see a day where the men in this women in this room stand over, hands on their hips, breathing heavy, sweat on your brow, dirt on your face, and underneath your fingernails because you've leveraged your faith for your friend. And at every obstacle, you decided to dig, dig, dig until you got your friends at the feet of Jesus and at the feet of Jesus he does what he always does he forgives and he heals amen so we want to preach the Bible clearly and give your soul some space to respond so I'm going to ask Cameron to walk us through a guided prayer now that we've heard we need to obey now that the word of God has been preached we need to listen